0: the Lord good? All, all, the time. all the time, God is good. God is good? All the time! Amen. God's glory, our gain. You turn again to the 8th chapter here of the book of Romans. And you're going to see throughout much of the remaining part of chapter 8, which is massive in its content. Uh, we're going to take some time to get through it. Uh, it's impossible to rush through chapter 8. It, it's uh, the heart, the soul, the meat, if you will. It's kind of this, this incredible, just just a dousing uh, of the blessings of God. And what we see uh, here in chapter 8, at least in the English, the way uh, these particular verses are written, are, are what's known as a polysyndeton. And and whenever you link things together with conjunctions like and or for or or, uh, you're linking together each thought successively so that they do not stand alone but in fact become part of each other. And so as you look at this in the original language it was intended to be a thought that taken collectively presents a picture. It's much like when you Uh, begin a painting, and you may have uh, a sketched outline. And that sketched outline contains some of the basic buildings and maybe the mountains, if you're looking at a landscape piece. And then eventually you'll begin to put in the details, the trees and all of those things, and ultimately the colors and the shading. And so chapter 8 is like that. Uh, It begins with a rough sketch of our salvation. For there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a truth, it's a rough sketch of exactly how we live in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation, we cannot be condemned, we've been taken in Christ, outside of condemnation, the devil can no longer get to you. But what happens now in chapter 8 is you have all of this incredible wealth of the blessings of God are just dumped upon you throughout the rest of chapter 8. And so as we saw last time, we've been adopted into God's family as his own dear children. And so now we stand as those children in this wonderful new place, no longer as outcasts, no longer as sinners, no longer as prodigals, no longer as wayward, We've been brought near right smack into the living room of God, if you would, because we can now call him and cry out to him, Abba, Father. Amen. We can now do that. He's Daddy. You get to call him Father God. You get to call him Dad. And because he's your father, one day you are going to inherit the full riches of everything that's his. And added to that now is his glory. So it just gets better and better and better and better. Each thought added to the other and so tonight God's glory uh, will one day be the fullness of our gain. We're actually going to inherit the glory of God. Right now we couldn't have it because we're in sin-filled bodies on a sin-filled planet. We, We couldn't have the glory of God. It would destroy us. But one day we're going to actually be able to have the glory of God and so we'll pick up in verse 17 down through verse 19 tonight here in Romans 8 and let's pray father we thank you for the promises of your word and Lord as we read these verses our our spirits can hardly contain uh, the things that you are doing with us to us through us and for us and we pray that you would just speak to us now in a wonderful way of encouragement Uh, Give us that hearing ear, Lord, that not an ear that just takes in the sound, but an ear that hears with anticipation of truth, desiring to know what you would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 17, and if children, so it now draws back to what we've already seen, We're God's adopted children. We're in his family. And again, Roman adoption is in view. So all of the rights, all the privileges, no difference. You are literally, as Jesus is, so are you. You're one of God's actual kids. You're not second class. You're not a lower grade child. You're literally one of God's children in every way, shape and form. And though you are not yet along that process of maturation and sanctification to its conclusion, which is the end and glorification, one day you will be. And so in view of what will happen in the future in fullness. And if children, so there's the way they're linked together polysyndetically. You're taking an and, it's a conjunction, it joins it to the last thought. And if children, then heirs. Now see, I like heirs. Now, probably most of you in here would, you know, like to be heir to maybe the Rockefeller fortune. That wouldn't be bad. Or the Gates fortune. That would be pretty good, don't you think? You know, I think it's upwards of like $65 billion, something like that. You'd you'd probably like to be an heir to that type of fortune. Maybe some of you in here. You could use it for God's glory. You could say yes. You're not going to be sinning by, you know, that would be a good thing. You, You see, you are an heir you are a literal heir. Now imagine, because Bill and Melinda Gates could give you a whole bunch of cash. Matter of fact, when they got married, they rented the island of Lanai in the Hawaiian Islands. The whole island. They kicked everyone off and they had their wedding. Their wedding cost $19 million. Now to give you an idea of the interest on $35 billion at the time... That was about what Bill was making in interest about every four days. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of airship, amen? That's a lot of airing, as it were. I'm making up my own words right now because I think it sounds cool. I'm probably in air. err, Unintended error, right? But that's, you can think on it that way, and I want you to, to wrap your mind around this. That would, now, can you imagine what someone like that could leave you as an inheritance? You know, a small island somewhere with, you know, a few castles on it. You know, it'd be a lot of stuff. But you are heirs of God. Now, imagine that God's possessions are unlimited, He has no end to the amount of things that he is and owns because he owns it all. So he could give you everything and me everything, and hear me well, because it's infinite, he can give all of us all that he has because he has no limit to his capacity to give you an inheritance at the end of that unlimited ability is the very last thing that God alone possesses in the whole universe, and that is himself and his own glory. And he is going to one day even share his glory with you. Mind-boggling. God's glory, our gain. And if children, heirs, Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Remember, no difference. If indeed we suffer with him. And now he he gives what seems to be a condition. It's not a condition. He's simply saying that the existence of someone who's truly a child of God is going to mean you're also going to be treated the way the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was treated. Jesus actually said exactly the same thing that the Apostle Paul is saying here. For know in this world you will have tribulation, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world. You you see, if you suffer for him, you're going to be also that we may be glorified together. You see, here in this world, this is what we call a hostile environment. You see, we're God's kids, and this world happens to belong to the wicked one. It's his. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around why God would do that, but in short, the answer to that is your love being volitional must have something else to choose, or it's not volitional, And so Satan has some ability to rule and reign while you're still here on this earth. Otherwise, God would have forced you into a love relationship. And so right now, not forever, the enemy of your souls actually has a tremendous amount of power here in the world. The ability to afflict your flesh and he himself is powerful, the devil. So you fight a threefold enemy the world, the flesh, and the devil, which is very real. And so we do not, in this earth, see the full glory of God. We only see little glimpses of it. You see it in a baby's smile. You ever seen a newborn baby when they crack their first smile? That is like, it's, it should be illegal. <laughs> because it turns parents into jello, You lose all dignity. You you see, God has distributed his glory in such a way that we're going to see in our next study that even the creation itself so testifies of the glory of God that you could actually see God in it. But you can't fully see him. You can only partially see him. You can see that God alone could have possibly done this. And so he says... One day we're going to be glorified together. All of the earthly travail, the mess that is our world, will be done. And God is going to put his full glory upon his creation. Those were, that were made in his image, you, me, us. Mind-boggling. For I consider that the sufferings, verse 18 says, of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which, future tense, shall be revealed in us. You see, right now, as the body of Christ, there's a little bit of God's glory in us. And you see it in missions teams. You see it in God working in marriages. You you see it in the world as people serve and love on one another. You see it as hands of compassion and Voices of tenderness and kindness and meekness and self-control. You see the glory of God in the fruit of the Spirit in the world. Amen? That's how you can see a little bit of it right now. But God's full glory is not revealed in our world. Only a little of his glory is revealed in this world. But one day, after we're done suffering... And after Satan has had his run and his run is over, God's going to take this whole world. In fact, it says the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll and he's going to make a new one. Wherein the full glory of God actually exists in fullness. And you're going to be part of that. That's going to be mind boggling. That's going to be so outrageous that our little pea brains can't even think of it. And that's why it says the sufferings of this present time cuz you know what? I hate what we've done to our earth and I'm going to get into this next week. I'm kind of a closet environmentalist. I'm not I used to be a full-on wacko. I went to the world, I went to the first earth day. I was there. So I'm not real fond of going to going into my beloved high Sierras and seeing somebody's trash. I track those people down. I say, Is this yours? This did not grow here. It's aluminum foil. I'm one of those people. When I'm out fishing, when I catch one of God's creatures over which I'm supposed to have dominion, that's good. But when I catch your trash... That's not good. (laughs) Jeff gets the look of, I'm going to find out. I'll know whose plastic bag this is. You see, right now we see the glory of the Lord a little bit. But after we get done suffering here on this earth, and let's face it, we're really not suffering all that much, are we? Some of you, and, and I don't mean to dismiss anyone's actual suffering. Please don't take me wrong here. I realize that there's legitimate suffering probably in this room. But that's why he says what he says. That's why God presents it this way to us. It's nothing compared to the future glory. Amen? Because he's going to make everything that you've ever experienced that's been horrific, wrong, that makes you crazy like trash does in the Sierras to me, like children being molested does to me, like husbands who beat wives does to me, don't let me find out you did that because I have to temporarily take off my pastor hat and put back on my MMA hat. (laughs) And then ask for forgiveness. I don't know if that's okay with God, but. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are horrible in this world. A little update from Victor Marx about a whole group of Christian kids. Every last one of them was molested, hundreds of them, by ISIS. I hear stuff like that, and I'm like, "Mm, maybe my time as a pastor is done. I'm supposed to become, you know, you you think that, because the world's a mess. The world's a mess. Here's the good news. It won't be a mess forever. Amen. And one day, the full glory of God is going to be revealed, not only in us, but actually in the creation. We'll get to that next week. For the earnest expectation of the creation, and this is the the beginning of next week's study. Even the creation. Those rivers and lakes and streams and the mountains... And the air that we breathe, even the creation itself, which was created by God, and by the way, when he made it, it was perfect in every way. We weren't supposed to mistreat it, but because of sin we do. Even the earnest expectation of the very creation of this universe eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, when we are glorified, when that final piece of the puzzle of sanctification, which began at our justification, and along that curving arc as we're growing in Christ and becoming more like Jesus, but ultimately when we get to the other end, when we are actually exalted and made into the image fully of Christ, when we get there, the whole universe is groaning for that day. Because what mean, that means is this. Sin's reign will be over. Satan's dominion will be done. And the fullness of the glory of all that God intended from the garden and creation to the very designed end that he has will be finally complete. And so this amazing few verses, let's break them down a little bit. You you see, whether you realize it or not, you you live in that constant hope, at least I hope you do, that one day your earthly travail is going to be over. And though you do not know what you're going to exactly be, we know what Scripture says we're going to be like Jesus. And so we live in that incredible place. You, You see, what happens to us initially these various pieces of our salvation experience, which by the way none of them can be pulled apart from the rest. The person that is regenerated, in other words made into a new creation in Christ Jesus, that's regeneration. A person that's regenerated has to also be justified. In other words you have to be made right before God the Father by Jesus the Son. The debt has to be paid. Your account needs to be cleared. And, and And if that happens then Sanctification is going to start, and so you're going to have that implantation of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be a saint before the Lord, and so you're going to begin that process, and here's what happens as that begins. You're going to get to be a little more like Jesus all along the journey, and then eventually one day all these things that happen to us as we're sanctified, we're also going to be glorified. So it's, a, it's kind of a puzzle that's being assembled out of our lives and we call it the puzzle of salvation because it begins when we say yes to the grace gift and we receive the implanted work of the Spirit in our lives to make us into a child of God and it continues through our whole life as God puts pieces of the puzzle in there, you have a little more joy and a little more peace and a little more gentleness and for us guys, a lot more self-control, there's like 40 pieces of that. You see what I'm saying? You understand why the Bible talks about sanctification as a process? Because when you first get saved, your only sanctification is the fact that you're saved. That's it. Because if you talk to anybody, you're still the same person you were before you got saved. There's been no evidence of your salvation but I'm hoping that 10 years down the road, that still can't be said. That what happens is now you are quite a bit more like Jesus. And in another decade, you're a whole lot like Jesus. And by the time you go home, there should not be much left to do except to glorify you. That's the process. And so we gain, in essence, all along the path, God's glory. And so when you think about it, these biblical truths that we're discussing here, they they kind of form a seamless fabric. Now, for those of you that care about such things, when they first designed Gore-Tex, Gore-Tex is a waterproof fabric, when they first designed it, they went through all kinds of different reiterations of the product, And they they found out that they could actually make fabric that was both breathable and waterproof. Now, that's a good thing, because when you're hiking and backpacking and rock climbing and doing those kind of things, you're doing outdoor adventures, and it begins to rain, you'd like to stay dry, but you don't want to drown in your own perspiration. Much like that, the, the seamless fabric of salvation allows you to breathe, allows you to be you. It allows you, in that sense, to experience life, make mistakes, but you're still inside of the garment of salvation. You're still on the dry side, as it were, on the saved side. But it allows you to perspire a little bit. And so in that sense, all these things that happen to us all along the way, all the way from justification To glorification, each one of them is necessary. They they tie into each other. And so justification is at the beginning and glorification is at the end. It's the completion. And so as the Apostle Paul is writing here, as the Holy Spirit authors these words, there are so many things that happen along the way. And you think about it, just in the first couple of verses of this chapter, in verses 2 through 3, the Holy Spirit, through the work that's going on of sanctification, enables you to fulfill God's law. That happens as part of your salvation experience. Because the law is fulfilled in love, amen? And so as God's love is put in your heart, you actually are fulfilling the law. For in this is the law and the prophets fulfilled, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That happens because you're saved. Salvation we'll see we saw in verses 5 through 11 that it actually changes your nature you being saved part of that work that happens along that path from justification to glorification is your nature gets changed the desires you used to have you don't have anymore desires you didn't have you now do have god changes your nature In verses 12 to 13, we saw that this work of sanctification, thats an ongoing process from justification to glorification, also gives you an empowering victory because you have the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, created the heavens and the earth, is at work in you, enabling you to flee sin. That's nuts. That's crazy. That's why in this room, there is probably an X-everything. Something we all used to be. And you could name your flavor of sin, and we probably have one or two of them in here. Maybe 10, 15. Some of us, we've, there's a few things we probably all have. If you're a guy in here, you probably had a mouth that needed to be closed most of the time. But you got healed. You learned how to speak the English language without using explicatives. That's part of the process of glorification. Amen? That's God at work in you. That's how you can see that when you start He who began that good work in you is faithful to complete it when? The day of Christ Jesus, your glorification. That's the picture. So, what started out as you no longer cussing like you used to ends up you're glorified just like Jesus. That is crazy. That's crazy. amazing it confirms our adoption and ultimately we're going to see at the end of this chapter even guarantees our ultimate glory so we see these things just working in us jesus actually said during his earthly ministry while he was here on earth there in john 6 begins in verse 37 and all that the father gives me shall come to pass And I shall lose none of it. You you see, what God starts, God finishes. And so one day, that's going to include us, me. Think about it for a second. That includes you being fully glorified. I don't even know how God does that. You know, there's questions we get asked as pastors we don't have answers for. And that'd be one of them how God can glorify this, that would be what we call a miracle. Because it doesn't even seem possible. And yet scripture says, he shall. Jesus speaking in John's gospel there in verses 39 and 40 of John 6, and this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I should lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. In other words, How God is going to do that work of taking you from your salvation experience day one to your glorification experience on the last day, I don't know. But I know his word says he will. And so we share in the glory of God in that way. You see, because man was created in the image of God, man was actually made with a glorious nature. Man actually has a little bit of glimmer of that every once in a while. Unfortunately, it's all too infrequent. Before the fall, we were without sin. But when Adam fell, he disobeyed God, and that glory went away. That glory as of the only begotten of the Father was actually on Adam originally. That's mind-boggling. The same glory that Jesus had when he came, and we beheld his glory in John 1. I believe Adam had that initially because he was in sinless perfection. One day, you're gonna have that. What that makes us is heirs to the glory of God. And the emphasis here is directly related to our adoption into his family. And so as I've said, you're going to inherit the riches of God. And when you think of the riches of God, try to broaden your concept in your mind To include not just things that God might possess, but the very sum and substance of who God is. You see, when you think about, maybe you were the heir to, say, Thomas Edison. Now, Thomas Edison had a number of patents that today would have made him monumentally wealthy, beyond imagination. You might have heard of the company called General Electric. Uh, That would be Thomas Edison. So not only would he be wealthy, but how would you like to have his intellect, which was just a hair shy of Albert Einstein? So not only did he have all the goods, which Einstein did not ever have. He was such a brainiac. He was kind of a little bit of a recluse, didn't really gain wealth. But the General Electric Corporation, that would be a good thing to have. So you'd have all of the cash and all the brains, too. That's how you can kind of think of the glory of God. You can have the experiential knowledge. You can have the wealth, but you can also have the mind of God. Now you don't have that right now. Neither do I. You can also have the glory of God. Now, now imagine that you know Thomas Edison instead of having that wild crazy hair. It's kind of like if anyone with brains has to have lots of hair. That's why you can tell I don't have any brains. <laughs> you know, it's like this wild like pfft, hair. Now imagine that Thomas Edison looked more like George Clooney. So you're going, to get, you're going to get the wealth, you're going to get the brains, and you're going to get the beauty. You're going to have all of those things one day. You're going to have the heirs of his full glory. Everything that God is, you will one day have. All of it. because you're one of his adopted kids. It ties into that concept. And you see the source of that future glory is the incomparable glory of God. It's not attached to things of this earth. It's not attached to your performance. It's not attached to your ability. It's not attached to you being able to understand it. It has nothing to do with you. That glory actually is the glory of God. It's his full presence. That's why when we read passages like in his presence is the fullness of joy because God is something that we can't even be he doesn't just possess things he is those things that's why when we read about Jesus he is the light he doesn't just shine with light he wasn't like Moses Moses had some of God's glory right You know, I don't know what it was, like didn't use SPF 50, and so he got some of God's glory, and he shone for a while, and then it went away. It's not like that. Jesus, in fact, is the light of the world. He doesn't just possess the light. It isn't something he has. It's something he is. And in that sense, the source of our future glory is nothing but an infinite God in all of his glory and splendor. Now you're going to collect some of that glory and be endued with it. Again, make your head spin that the glory of God is actually going to rest on you. That's because of what God did for us at Calvary's cross through his son Jesus. We will one day have his glory. He bequeaths it. You see, I can't give God's glory in that sense because I don't have it. But God can give it, and he will. Because he himself is our actual inheritance. What about the scale of that future glory or the magnitude of that future glory? Fellow heirs with Christ. Now, if you are going to bequeath something to the Lord Jesus, don't you think his portion would be bigger than, say, my portion? Wouldn't you do it that way? I would. I'll just tell you, forget me, give it to Jesus. Because he deserves it, right? Right? But that's not what's going to happen. You're not going to get a minor portion of the glory of God. You're going to get the fullness of the glory of God. That's what your Bible says. You're a joint heir with Christ. The word joint there means co-equal partner. Does that not boggle your mind? So as God's divvying up his glory, however he does that... He's going to give Jesus a full share, and he's going to give you a full share. I'm telling you, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be divvying it out by works. You go, well, you didn't do much for me, so here's like a smattering of glory. You can have some glory dust. <laughs> we'll go to Bethel, we'll get some of that. Sprinkle them on. And there'd be some people they get a little more glory. They get like a glory popsicle or something. There'd be people who get a glory sandwich. Some people have a glory car, maybe a glory house. But I'd leave most of the glory with Jesus. It's not what it says. It says somehow there is enough of the glory of God because it's Him to go around to give everyone a co-equal share with Christ. That is craziness. Mind-boggling. That when you're walking around heaven, when you come back to rule and reign with Christ, when he creates a new heaven and a new earth, however he has glorified his son, so he will glorify you. Wow. Do you think God loves us or what? You see, I wouldn't do that for us. I wouldn't even do it for me. But he's going to do that for us. The scale of that glory is unbelievable. John 17, verse 22 says this, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. How God's going to do it, don't ask me because I can't tell you. I just know what his word says, and that's what it says. The scale of his glory is a full portion for you and a full portion for me. You see, we start talking about percentages, right? So if you give somebody, you know, like two-tenths of one percent, that means that you have 99.98% left to give away. Just like love in marriage is supposed to be 100% and 100%, which to us makes 200%, in God's economy it's not. He has fullness in one and fullness in another, and he can give fullness to all so that all are full. That's the way his glory works. That's the way his love worked at the cross, because if he didn't give you the fullness of his love through grace, you would not be saved. So he can give you 100% and me 100% and everyone who has ever professed the name of Jesus will get 100% of his glory. That's a pretty monumental scale, amen? Why? Because Titus 3, 7, we've been justified by his grace in order that we might be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm justified by his grace. I'm not justified by works. I'm justified by the free gift of God. And so the glory that I'm going to receive is not because I earned the glory, it's because it's his glory and he can give it to me. Magnificent grace, magnificent glory. That's why Jesus Christ, Hebrews 9 says, you ladies studied this not long ago. Is the mediator of a new covenant, in order that since death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that we've committed under the first covenant, that those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Not what you can earn. Not the good stuff that you're going to get as a reward. That's going to be in addition to the glory of God. That's the crazy part. God's going to give you his full glory and then give you a crown or two for your works. Wild. That's a lot of glory, folks. But he's got plenty to go around because he is glorious. Our king is glorious. It's not by the way that as Mormonism teaches, you're all going to become gods. There's still going to be one God in three persons when you get to heaven. and It ain't going to be you. You're just going to share in the glory that is that one God in three persons. A beautiful picture. I think that's why when we see what little we know about heaven from the Bible, you know, we, we see this incredible picture that can't be described. It's lights and sounds and it's just glorious. You, you can't describe it because our little finite minds couldn't wrap our heads around it. So God just tells us a little bit about it and says, just trust me with this. Second Peter chapter 3 says this, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We'll be covering this on uh, Sundays here in a, in a week or so. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements of the earth will melt with a ferv- fervent heat and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up and therefore since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and living, looking for and hastening the coming of that day? Why? Because he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth to replace it. So we're supposed to be getting ready for that glory. That's what sanctification is. It's getting ready for glory. It's kind of practicing glory, if you will. It's practicing being like Jesus. Not that you'll ever replace him. Not that you'll ever be him. Not that you'll ever be God. But one day you will have his full glory. There's an ongoing proof of that. And many of God's promises, unfortunately, are not exactly what we'd call positive. And here's one of those promises. It's a negative promise with a positive result, though. Notice what it says there in verse 17, the latter half. For if indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, one of the things that you can use as the proof that one day you're going to be fully glorified is that you are today suffering for the Lord. That verbal abuse that you go through, that chastisement you get, everything from somebody talking mean to you to martyrdom is proof that God is going to keep his word. Because we would not be getting picked on. Have you ever noticed how people who don't know know Jesus don't pick on people who don't know Jesus about Jesus? You ever see that? You know who they pick on about Jesus? Those crazy Jesus freaks. People who actually say, you know what, I believe Jesus Christ is God's own son. They say, sure, you're one of those, huh? That's why you don't get invited to that party. Because you have become the cosmic killjoy. (laughs) You are not the way you used to be, so you no longer get invited to those things. But you do get mocked. You do get ridiculed. You may get fired from your job because you won't cheat like everybody else does. You won't pad your sales numbers. You won't do the things that are asked of you because they're not right before God. And you suffer because of it. You don't get that promotion because you won't sleep with the boss, male or female. You won't compromise your integrity. You won't give people false dates. You won't tell them, hey, we can do this for you, and we're planning on it, when you know you can't and won't. And so you get your pink slip. While the liar and the cheat gets promoted, that is a sure sign that one day you're going to be glorified. Because that's suffering for the cause of Christ. That's suffering literally because you love the Lord, and you refuse to compromise, and you stand for him. Amen? It's proof. It's absolute proof. And and can I tell you this? It's not if you suffer. You will suffer. At some point in time during your life, maybe for a vast majority of your life, you're going to be persecuted for righteousness sake. And, And I don't tell you that because I think it, Jesus said it. Jesus actually in Matthew 10 said, look, the disciples not above his teacher or a slave above his master. You're going to become like me. This is going to happen. Paul would write to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be, will be. they are in 2 Timothy 3. Peter would even remind us, he said, look, the, the same promise. And after you suffer for a little while, the God of grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. 1 Peter chapter 5. Paul Paul went so far as to say, look, we're afflicted in every way. We're perplexed, but we're not despaired. We're persecuted. We're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're caring about the body of the dying Jesus that the life of Jesus might be also manifest in us. And he concluded that thought, therefore we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. There in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's the whole reason for it. You see, the world doesn't have a reason for their suffering. But in Christ, we actually have a reason for it. You know, when you suffer for no reason, it is miserable. But when you suffer for a reason, you're looking to the expected end. And we suffer for a reason. Bad things indeed happen to good people. Christian children are abused and murdered by ISIS. People sitting in church are blown to little tiny bits by crazy people. In the name of Allah. Three innocent people on a street corner in Fresno, gunned down for no other reason than they were white. Same thing happens round the clock. Innocent young black men gunned down horrible but one day that's going to end amen and that is what god wants that's what he's working towards that's why we're supposed to be interceding in those situations that's why we should not stand for it that's why we should stand shoulder and shoulder together to see that it does not happen and if we have to suffer because of it we should. We must. Because that's not the Lord. That's the enemy, that's the devil that brings about that type of thinking. It's it's not the Lord God in heaven that takes innocent life. It's the enemy of our souls that takes in the innocent life of anyone. That's why Paul, (laughs) in Philippians 3, equated it to the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Even being conformed into his death, he was basically, look, I'm a pro-suffering dude. I'm good at it. I'm going to continue to do it. And in a strange way, the more willing we are to suffer, the more ready we are for glory. Because we're doing what Jesus did. Jesus' life when he was on this earth was not a piece of cake. Amen? That's why they're in John 15. Look, you know, he said, Jesus said this. He says, you know, they're in John 15, in verse 18. He says, you know that the world has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, you'd love your own. But because you are not of this world... And I chose you out of this world. Therefore the world hates you. But remember the word that I said to you. Slaves not greater than the master. He says all these things they will do to you. But they also did it to me. We can kind of wear it as a badge of honor a little bit. I know that's hard to do when you're in the midst of suffering. But it is for a purpose. When you take a strong biblical stand, when you stand for Christ in a world that's upside down, you're going to face oppression. You're going to face alienation. You're going to face affliction. You're going to face rejection. It's going to happen. You have to be prepared for that. It's part of the cost. When Jesus said, look, he who desires to be my disciple must pick up his cross and follow me, that's what he was getting at saying, look, there's going to be things in this life you're going to go through strictly because you're one of my kids. Because you're going to do things differently. But you're going to do it with honor. And you're going to do it with integrity. And you're going to do it with purpose. Because in the end, you're going to get God's glory. You see, we have the Lord's wonderful assurance 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this to us in verse 5, just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. You see, my comfort is this. Life is but a vapor. The, The glory that comes is worth every bit of this present tribulation. You know, Connie and I were sitting on the couch and we're looking at each other this morning. We're like, her back's hurting, my back's hurting. I've got a wrap on my knee. She's got a hot pad on her back, and she's down on ibuprofen. And I'm half asleep. We're looking at us like, man, we are getting old. And we look at each other, like, praise God, hallelujah. One day we're going home to be with Jesus. And while that's a bit of an exaggeration at our age, it's not like we're gonna croak tomorrow, you, you start to look towards the glory of heaven, amen. It's like you go like this is this is you know, this is it. This is an earthly tent. It's worn out. Man, we put duct tape on that pole for a long time. We have sewn on patches on this tent in a few places multiple times. And you know what happens when you sew on patches in the same place? The hole gets bigger. The thread gets more bare. And so it is here in life. You're going to get threadbare, folks. You're going to have some holes that are going to keep getting bigger and bigger and poles that are going to get weaker and weaker. Your tent one day is going to give out. And praise the Lord. Glory. Amen. You're going to get a whole new mansion. Amen. And that's why we look towards that future glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. The phrase here to consider is such a cool word, because it, it's a mathematical term, and it literally means to do an equation. It, it means to put down in ciphers in numerical equation In other words, he's saying, "You do the math. You do the math. And when you add up life plus suffering equaling glory, hallelujah, you do the math. You, you scribble down that equation. He uses the, the Greek word pathoma. And when you, when you look at that word in its, its original context, it's Christ's sufferings that come to us as our sufferings that have the same result as his sufferings. What did his sufferings do? Because it's pathé, in other words, to sympathize with at the deepest level what Christ did in his sufferings, your sufferings do for you. They bring you closer to glory. Christ's sufferings ended up with you receiving his glory. Your sufferings will end up putting you into his glory. Not because you earned it, but because that's where you're going. You're going to be glorified, amen? Amen. In other words, Jesus offers an infinite return on your investment. You see, when you purchase something like land or a home, or maybe stocks or bonds or an investment fund, some of you are looking like, yeah, sure. But when you do those kind of things, you purchase a home, you would like to get an ROI. You'd like to get a return on your investment, right? Here's the crazy thing. You know what this equation says? It says, your life plus suffering, infinite return on investment. That's because the glory is the future glory. You see, you could not predict, and nobody can, the ups and downs in the housing market. Amen? I've been around long enough. I remember we bought a, we bought a condo back in, I think it was the early 1980s we had a 17.9% mortgage. 17.9%. Little dinky condo. It's like, are you kidding me moment? It's like you look at the principal, it's like, well, we paid three bucks in principal and $897 in interest. We were going to own that house for 7,000 years. I mean, the return, the the tribulation would happen. The second the millennial reign, we'd still be making payments. (laughs) Not a good return on investment. But you know what happens in a future sense? Your life and the suffering you go through is going to bear an eternal weight of glory. Amen. God's glory will one day be our gain. Amen? Would you stand? Let's pray together. As you're standing, remembering that our our suffering, in a general sense, comes from the hand of man, but our glory comes from the throne of God. As you think about it, our, our suffering is earthly, but the glory we'll receive is heavenly Our suffering is short because life's a vapor. But our glory is going to be forever and eternal. Our suffering is actually trivial in light of eternity. And our glory is limitless. So as we pray, let's thank the Lord for what he's doing in our lives. And and while we're on this earth, sure, we we may have some suffering to endure but it's nothing compared to the glory that's one day going to be ours. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. That you would even save us, Lord. God, if you just saved us from eternal damnation, that would have been enough. If you had only changed our nature and given us the ability to do righteous things, that would have been enough. If you had given us life, and even we just simply ceased to exist after 80, 90, 100 years, that, that would have been enough, as long as we didn't <laughs> spend eternity away from you. But Lord, you not only saved us from sin and death, you saved us from the penalty eternal damnation but you are one day going to share your glory with us and all we can say is thank you thank you lord that you love us that much that you've adopted us and one day we get to share in your glory we just say thank you abba father it's in jesus name we pray amen